Hello and welcome to South Asia Chat, a podcast brought to you by the Institute of South Asian Studies at the National University of Singapore. I'm your host Ramita Ayer, a research analyst at the institute. This year, India celebrates 75 years of independence and foreign policy making, where much has changed and remain unchanged both domestically and internationally. In this episode, we look at India's strategic choices in a seemingly shifting world order. I'm delighted to be joined by Professor C. Rajamohan, Senior Fellow at the Asia Society Policy Institute in New Delhi and Visiting Research Professor at ISAS. Professor Rajamohan, welcome to South Asia Chat. Thank you, Ramitha. Wonderful to be here. In early September, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, or the SEO in short, held its 22nd summit meeting. Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi attended it, marking the first time that he came face-to-face with Chinese President Xi Jinping since the beginning of the Galwan conflict in Ladakh two years ago. Apart from the India-China tensions, we've also seen in recent times the SEO's larger purpose increasingly being called into questions, uh, questioned due to serious internal disagreements within the group. Given that India is set to host the summit next year, what are your thoughts on how Delhi can benefit from the grouping? I think the principal objective for India is to limit the existing, in fact, most of the time people don't talk about those internal conflicts. But the conflicts are real. I mean, uh, between India, China, India, Pakistan, uh, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iran. So I think uh, there are real differences within. And now we are seeing new fractures uh, in the region. Uh, the conflict between Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan, which are members. Uh, so, so what you have is that the region is a fragmented one, and the unifying attempt by China and Russia. Uh, was initially seen as a positive thing. But today, the kind of anti-American, anti-Western orientation they want to give it uh, makes it even more complicated. Uh, I don't think all the members are on board with that agenda of wanting to be an anti-Western coalition, uh, while China and Russia are trying to push it in that in that direction. So I think India, as someone which has good relationship with Russia uh, and with the United States, uh, can play a more moderating, balancing role uh, in the in the region. So its chairmanship, uh, which is uh, India has taken over. So in the next uh, year or so, I think it should focus more on how does it connect with the Central Asian countries. Because right now, India is physically has no access. So that's been one of the limiting factors on India's engagement with the region, on trade, commerce, etc. Uh, India has been trying to uh, build a you know network through Iran. In fact, the Prime Minister Narendra Modi's speech at the Shanghai Cooperation Organization was focused on improving connectivity, of developing connectivity. So I think that will be one, one major, uh, major factor. Second, I think, uh, is how does India bring in new areas of cooperation? Because one is physical connectivity. Other is uh, how do we do more digital, more uh, innovation, investments. That you don't need physical access for that. So can India bring in some of its capabilities to play a larger role uh, in the economic evolution uh, of the region? So, so I would say, uh, on its own, national interest uh, is in improving connectivity and of engagement. Two, at the regional level, reduce the internal conflicts, uh, try and moderate them, and third, globally. Uh, avoid a ideological organization, but one that can be a bridge uh, between Europe and Asia uh, and between East and the West. 
focusing on another area of tension uh, the russia uh, the russian war in ukraine has complicated india's ties with key partners including moscow and washington until recently india maintained a rather neutral stance on the issue which was not taken very well by its western uh, partners including the us but at the recent seo summit uh, modi in an apparent critique of russia told putin that this is not an era of war what are your thoughts on india's strategy in this respect i think some of the criticism of india's position as neutrality uh, from the western media has been somewhat i mean overstated uh, criticism because uh, uh, early on it was not clear where the war was going so india uh, after the initial few days i mean it it kept emphasizing the question of sovereignty and territorial integrity which is the main main question because india was not jumping into the uh, into the bandwagon of simply attacking russia because india had uh, serious stakes in the relationship one was the the whole question of weapon supply for india uh, because india is locked in a you know military tensions with china on the border therefore ensuring the supply of uh, military equipment was a major uh, consideration second i think uh, india also does not want russia to become totally dependent on china Uh, so that there is a regional balance uh, and that therefore they were hoping to uh, to to keep russia engaged and to avoid the total isolation of russia but i think today 6 7 months after the war uh, the situation is different one i think russia is doing badly and it's quite clear russians have no way out of this and therefore i think prime minister modi chose the time to mention that look you must get back to diplomacy I and mean, i think continuing down this path is not good for russia it's not good for the world and the third aspect is for india uh, which faces as faced severe economic consequences both in terms of high fuel prices uh, inflation food security uh, so many areas where india is vulnerable to uh, the new dynamic that has emerged so therefore today i think india does not want to be seen as something just supporting russia in this situation but that at the same time india also wants to take a more balanced position uh, one publicly expressing concerns about russia's policy and two trying to uh, create conditions where actually the issue can be can be resolved so but i think we're coming to a denouement uh, and the it is going to get a lot more trickier and complicated uh, depending on what president putin does in ukraine Uh, and if they're going to do new mobilization, if they're going to do a referendum and annex the region, so India's situation will get harder. So, in some senses, uh, by distancing himself from Putin's uh, Ukraine policy, I think India has also increased its options, and that it is not simply uh, just going to, you know, follow Russia uh, on these on this issue. Uh, moving our focus broadly to the Indo-Pacific. region we've also seen a shift away from multilateralism to plurilateralism or minilateralism india too has been actively involved with such groupings it is one of the four members of the quadrilateral security dialogue or the quad it is also one of the 13 partner countries of the indo-pacific economic framework for prosperity or the ipef in short that's being led by the united states What is your assessment of the potential of minilaterals as instruments of international cooperation and governance? It's quite interesting. I think the Quad is not the only minilateral India is present. I mean, it's also in the BRICS. You could argue BRICS is also. It's not a regional forum. It's a global minilateral forum. So my sense is, after the end of the Cold War, 
when India's traditional emphasis on non-aligned movement, multilateralism, G77, etc., uh, the question of India's new interests and concerns saw India actually began to undertake many lateral uh, uh, format with the BRICS was the first one. And then Shanghai Cooperation was more of a regional organization, but BRICS was uh, one of them. And we also saw India uh, embark on the Quad-related uh, initiatives going back to 2007. But the, while the BRICS moved very quickly uh, through the last 20 years, a Quad has been far more slower evolution. But as India-China contradictions have become stronger in the last four years because of the frequent military crisis on the border, we've had a conflict in 2013, 2014, 2017, and 2020. Uh, since then, we've seen uh, India's need to limit China's unilateralism. India's interest in producing a balance of power in Asia has seen India now uh, double down a lot on the quad and other many laterals. Uh, for example, uh, India, Australia, uh, Indonesia, or India, France, and the United Arab Emirates. So I think India is experimenting with a lot of these kind of groupings, uh, which would, uh, you know, somewhere between merely simply doing, you know, national policy to uh, very grand multilateralism or uh, to regionalism. I think the minilateralism of different kinds, opens up a new space uh, and greater functionality uh, and ability to influence uh, a larger set of issues. And India is also participating in the G10, for example, that is the G7 plus. Uh, last few years, India has been invited. So my sense is the shift is, initially the focus was on creating a multipolar world, which meant that's the reason why India got close to Russia and China. But today, India is also working very closely with the U.S., uh, to produce a multipolar Asia, that is, uh, that initially the fear of the West saw BRICS, but now uh, the problems with China are seeing more West-related uh, minilateral institutions coming up. You mentioned uh, Central Asia earlier, a region that has become an, another important piece in India's strategic puzzle. Earlier this year, we witnessed the first ever summit between India and the five leaders of Central Asia, which put a renewed focus on uh, deepening cooperation on connectivity and uh, issues of security. What is the importance of Central Asia for India and are there any challenges that you foresee in this respect? No, I think there are many challenges because while India's uh, enthusiasm for Central Asia was there from the beginning, but the problem has been uh, India's economic trade and other relationships have been fairly limited. Uh, so, if you go back to history, I mean, uh, in a sense, India and Central Asia were directly connected, where many of the, you know, cult, you know, the movement of people from Central Asia, the Mughals who came from there, uh, and the Gandhara Kingdom, which kind of ruled simultaneously over Central Asia as well as uh, South Asia. So those, under, and when by the time we came to the British Empire, it was uh, the empire. Raj was in a great game contestation with the uh, with the uh, the Russian Empire, and you saw that time Indian Army, Indian institutions take a large interest in the in the uh, in the Central Asian region. And then comes partition, where India's geographic access to Central Asia is cut off uh, because the way the territorial division took place, and Pakistan uh, was a block, and India's uh, negative relationship with Pakistan meant. Uh, India could not directly relate to uh, the region. But then thanks to the Soviet uh, relationship, 
uh, India was given a privileged access to parts of Central Asia because India was a friend of the Soviet Union. India had a, a consulate in Tashkent and, you know, and there was a lot of engagement on the cultural and other sides. Uh, and that's the reason why you see the popularity of the Indian cinema uh, and Raj Kapoor and, you know, you saw the other day at the, at the SEO summit, they were belting out some Bollywood songs uh, as part of the entertainment. So, so on the soft power side, uh, because of the deep connection during the Soviet era, uh, and the the cultural similarity and affinity, uh, we see a lot of India's impact of soft power. But on the economic side, uh, the absence of connectivity saw a, a significant limitation. The second factor that has emerged is the rise of China. In the past, China and Russia were at odds with each other. But as China-Russia became friends and China's economy grew rapidly to the second largest economy today, and China has physical borders with uh, with uh, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, and uh, Kazakhstan. So China's economic weight has dramatically improved uh, in the in the in the Central Asian region, and a Sino-Russian strategic partnership combined with Chinese economic might, I think, produces new concerns for India. How does it, uh, you know, ensure a more balanced region? So for this, I think India has historically depended on Russia, but now it must look at other partners. Uh, doing more with Iran, I mean, beyond the Chabahar port and the uh, route into Central Asia. Turkey is an important player. Uh, that the, we saw at the SEO summit, uh, Prime Minister Modi uh, meeting with uh, President Erdogan. For the first time, there seems to be some relaxation of the you know, uh, bad mood I mean, between India and Turkey for the last three years. So I think India will have to find other partners to work in Central Asia, because you're not going to get physical access in, in anytime soon. Other important actor in the region is European Union. So can India work with the European Union? Because don't forget, historically, because Soviet Union is part of the European institutions, the Organization of Security and Cooperation in Europe. So Europe has a lot of linkages into the post-Soviet space. Uh, they're active, for example, in the Caucasus. Uh, they, uh, they also have an interest in the Central Asian region. So I think European Union uh, could be another partner. And finally, I would say India should also work with Japan and South Korea, uh, which have large investments in the region. And, and I don't think we have thought about, while we talk about the Indo-Pacific, uh, we have not thought of Japan and Korea as potential players in the, in the Central Asian region. Closing off our discussion today by looking at India's immediate uh, South Asian neighborhood, in an article that you wrote a few months ago, you reflected on developments in Pakistan, Nepal and Sri Lanka and emphasized on the need to reframe regional ties, uh, working with the logic of geography in the subcontinent. Could you elaborate on this? Look, I think what happened uh, after partition, partition created new boundaries, new conflicts between India-Pakistan, and then you had Pakistan, West Pakistan and East Pakistan. So the, and then China came into Tibet. So the, the new sovereignties and the new boundaries that emerged took a lot of India's energies uh, in managing that. This would have been manageable if India had not turned inwards economically. That is, there were political divisions, but India chose an economic path that was inward-oriented which meant it was, you know, whether it was socialism, whether it was state-led economic development, which it meant India was not interested in trade, India was not interested in connectivity. So it all became focused inwards. Uh, the emphasis on, uh, you know, uh, self-reliance, uh, you know, and keep import substitution. So what happened was it 
kind of frittered away the natural connectivities, even between India and Nepal, which have an open border, uh, India-Sri Lanka. Why is it today China is a bigger trading partner to South Asian countries? Because India was inward-oriented and it opened up much later than China. And it was not willing to think of its borders as zones of cooperation. So, for example, the natural, how much Nepal wants to do things with China, its geography is tied to India. That is, the plains of Nepal are linked to, you know, the Gangetic Plain. And the natural flows of people is to the south. So, we must build on the geography rather than, you know, treating as completely separate units. Or India and Bangladesh have almost 4,000 kilometers of border. Now, do you fence that border? Or do you think of that border as actually facilitating movement of people uh, of uh, migrate, you know, how do you regulate the migration? How do you movement of labor and capital? So in the sense, in the past, the securitization dominated the discourse on the boundaries. But today, I think we need to think about uh, economic people-oriented uh, boundaries, which can actually benefit the prosperity progress of uh, all the countries involved in South Asia. With Pakistan, it's going to be a lot more challenging. But with the rest of the region, uh, if you work with geography, uh, as opposed to working against it, uh, then I think there will be benefits of which have not, it's only beginning to be realized because today, Indian government does talk about connectivity, trade facilitation, cross-border projects. Uh, we've been slower at it. I mean, China has done a lot more with Southeast Asia. So India has a lot of catching up to do uh, on regional integration, regional connections, where you leverage geography for the benefit of both sides, rather than securitizing the boundaries and preventing a natural flow of commerce and uh, uh, you know trade uh, across the borders. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Professor Raju Mohan. You were listening to South Asia Chat. To get more updates on our work, visit our website at isas.nus.edu.sg. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram.